Hi, my name is John Biddle and welcome to uh, Workshop Wednesday, uh, where today we're going to be talking about inacritic work. Um, so we're just looking at the uh, the kind of five cornerstones of complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and obviously, if you can divide those up into subtitles, inacritic is one of those subtitles that we're going to look at and last week we looked at the binge eating as um, a prelude to developing complex PTSD and um, everything seems to kind of underline each other and everything kind of lines up and is all part of the same thing but complex PTSD is prefixed with the word complex because it is kind of complex in its modality and the way in which it f affects people but let's dial back a bit you know um you know if you have an inner narrative and you're talking to yourself the old wives tale is this was the first sign of madness and and if you kind of want to get a handle on the inner narrative and the conversations that you have with yourself there's a book called what to say when you talk to yourself written by a guy called professor shad helmstetter uh, there's a link in the um, in the subtext, and what Professor Helmsetter, which I have to say is kind of my all-time favourite book. I've read it a few times because the one thing throughout my life is that I've been confused with my inner narrative and and the kind of things that I do say to myself. So it's been kind of a key interest in my life, if you like. But that book is a phenomenal book. Um, where he applies science to the neuroplasticity of our brain and thinking and you know the age-old understanding of we were born with a brain and we were given and that's all we had and it can never change which is not true and uh, Shad Helmstetter blows the doors off of that you know he's proven scientifically that our neuroplasticity and the rewiring of our synapses and our brains can be changed and that book kind of looks at the inner narrative that lots of us have. Um, you know, he says that up to 75% of the daily conversations we have is actually to ourselves. So the good news, if you thought this was a sign of badness, talking to yourself, it's, it's not and you're doing okay. Um, having conversations with yourself is entirely normal and it's it's something that we do all the time. Um, and it's also how we rationalise the world and how we process the things that are unfolding in front of us. So, the, But the problem is with this inner narrative, if the narrative is kind of wrong, you know, the nature of these conversations is, however, something which might be out of control. And while there are people in this world who seem to sail through life with no challenges positive in their nature and they see nothing but good in everything and they don't get bogged down in the self-imposed oppression of that daily grind that a lot of us do there's very few of them and if, but it, they are there if you look and if you are given the opportunity to sit down with these types of people the one thing they all have in common is that they had amazing childhoods and this fundamentally comes down to amazing parenting something most parents can only aspire to i i was i wasn't a brilliant parent and considering the childhood that i received it's a miracle that i didn't damage my children in a way that was in a way that i was damaged you know my kids aren't perfect and 
you know, they'll be the first people to put their hands up and admit that. But, you know, we we did our best with our children. You know, parenting labelled good enough, in inverted commas, um, by clinical psychologist uh, D.W. Winnicott in his book, The Child, the Family and the Outside World, said children just need parents to be consistent with their love and affection. Uh, children don't need their parents to be perfect because nothing in this life is perfect well actually there is someone who is perfect in my life and that's um, my dog bella she's a little springer spaniel for those of you who don't know me this is um she is epitomizes perfection in my life but that's another story but being good enough is well good enough you know that that kind of describes a whole heap of things that we do as parents that are just good enough for our children to get by on and fundamentally being good enough is being consistent with your parenting and not deviating from the way in which you want to parent your children that has to be really consistent but in my case the only consistency I experienced as a child was emotional abuse with a smattering of violence Love and affection from my childhood was something so alien for me to even contemplate. Um, I had a sense of not being liked and that was kind of overwhelming for me as a child. You know, a child in a cherished and loving family knows that making mistakes doesn't make them the mistake. Doing things wrong as a child and being guided healthily by a parent who wants nothing but the best is the most natural thing in the world. The moment the parent uses a negative narrative and punishes the child excessively outside of social norms the seed of perfectionism will have already been sown and and we'll dive a lot deeper into perfectionism as we go along this road Um, and most of us are driven by the inner critic which prevents much of us to succeed and creates a swell of emotions such as fear inferiority reclusion and isolation My inner critic behaves as though it's not my friend, like the monkey on my shoulder always pulling me down, telling me I'm not good enough or I'm too fat, too ugly. Um, That that list is endless. Um, When we discuss to others about our inner voice, it's often tinged with humour. We knowingly say it's the voices in my head told me to do it or I'm such a klutz, I always spill my coffee, my mother always said I was clumsy. The latter comment is the inner critic reinforcing what your mother always told you. You are clumsy and therefore that's what you are. But there is nothing funny about the inner critic. It's disabled you for most of your life, held you back. Its brow beats you into a place where you don't belong. And and I want to give you a glance into my inner critic and how it affects me through the day. And I, I I'm kind of a pro when it comes to addressing my inner critic because it's something I've been really working on with my therapist Jane and I have inner dialogue with my inner critic on a continual basis but I want to highlight something which deeply affected me at the beginning of this year and my inner critic started a whole spiral of events which stereotypically ticked all the boxes for um, emotional flashbacks shaming toxic shame all sorts of negative psychological issues happened to me whilst this 
whilst this event occurred and um, both my wife and I were moving house and I'm not going to lie it was a tough time it was you know winter the house our house sold much quicker than we had anticipated and when we got all our ducks lined in a row in order to make the move as sort of streamlined and slick as possible external influences and agencies involved in the house sale started removing the ducks so anyway uh, my wife Sam pointed out that I was absent from the beginning um, with uh, the whole concept of of us selling the house and moving and her comments were constructive and necessary to get her husband on the same hymn sheet so we could get through this move as harmoniously as possible the bottom line was I needed to be present and give her the help she needed to make this trauma kind of work but what I heard or what my inner critic heard was you're lazy you don't help and you're no good to me Um, and I instantly iced Sam out of my life I bit down I was angry my inner critic was in overdrive and I had a and it had a foothold in my psyche. I went full frontal attack on my character. I, with the coping mechanisms that I've been taught, I dialed into the voice and I analysed what it was saying. And it wasn't pretty. And I wrote them down in my diary. And this is pretty much about 30 minutes after the conversation. You're a nobody. No one loves you. Look, even your wife hates you. Listen to what she said about you. You're no help. She'll be better off without you. You don't deserve a new house. Even though you work all the hours God sends, you you can live on the streets and be homeless. And one day your son will walk past with your grandchildren and your son will recognise who you are and chuck you some coins. Your grandchildren will stand and laugh at you. You're a joke. You might as well kill yourself. You're fat anyway. If you got in your car and left your phone at home so they can't track you and drove you drove to the sea and drowned yourself, no one would care. Just fuck off and die. Now that is a classic inner critic, full-on assault of how I was feeling. And and it didn't end, it just continued on and on and on. That was just one section I wrote. And the, the paradox of this nonsense is that, you know, apparently my wife doesn't love me anymore, so why don't I just leave my phone at home so my wife can't track me to see where I am? it's absolutely preposterous to think that this is even normal like i'm sat here in a healthy place and my my mind is in a in a very kind of calm state and i read this and i think to myself it doesn't make any sense that i was actually genuinely consciously thinking this 4 months ago this dialogue was an aftermath of a three-minute conversation with my wife who had genuine concerns about my lack of behaviour towards a situation where she needed my help. I will speak tongue-in-cheek about the inner critic. The dialogue that I just mentioned is not funny. What followed was five days of isolation and shaming and the inner critic or the inner narrative was just building to this constant barrage and I did, I wanted to die and I wanted to kill myself. I felt physically oppressed, unable to breathe in my own skin, which caused me to abuse myself further with food because paradoxically food was the only thing which loved me because clearly, according to my inner critic, my wife no longer did. Uh, I think it was three or four days later I had to speak to my therapist Jane and we then spoke daily 
um, for nearly two weeks. Um, and through therapy, we isolated the cause of the rift. And this was the home, uh, the home that we were selling was the home that I had built to protect my family from my abuser. And I was now losing it. And for 20 years, this house was my castle. I had control over my life within the four walls of this house. But the little boy in me was struggling to see the benefit of moving because it was his safe place. Um, and he was digging his heels in, which caused me to isolate from the process. And when this was highlighted in a non-threatening way with my wife, the little boy in me had dug his heels in further and acted the full-blown inner critic attack. Now... The inner critic zones into the imperfections we have, which makes our world vibrant and different. It runs a psychological highlighter, if you like, over these non-things, making them something that they really aren't. So something that could be innocuous and innocent and, you know, not important can be typeset in bold, highlighted, underlined, and then the critic uses that as a target practice for leverage to get you into a place where it needs to isolate you, separate you and destroy you. And this is this kind of thing is fertilizing it with bullshit negative tones and allowing it to grow into like this gargantuan oak tree of defeatism and subservient nonsense. Um, and it can be so unkind it's vernacular, cruel even my inner critic had taken on the voice of my abuser which makes my inner critic a doubly worse interaction for me so I with the conversations I have with my inner critic it's actually my father's voice that that's taken on which is something I just can't shake and as a segue um, how would the world have looked if humans had had been gripped with fear and listening to their inner critics would we still be living in mud huts and hadn't explored the the, the wider world you know, if did Christopher Columbus, for example, listen to his inner critic and not bother pointing his ship into the abyss of nothingness before discovering the Americas, or Neil Armstrong, who opened the door of Apollo 13 after landing on the moon, sort of kind of said, oh, it looks a bit dark out there, and let's not bother. It's crazy to think that, you know, that there, people in this situation would say these kinds of things. So while we we acknowledge the inner voice who behaves like someone who isn't your friend, paradoxically, your inner critic is actually your friend. Now, the inner critic is a means of self-preservation, making you feel flawed, worthless and inadequate. And that is, when you look at the definition of an inner critic, um, you know, that's pretty much the words, the adjectives that come up. And you say things to yourself such as, I can't do this, I'll be crap at it, and I'm always clumsy, I shouldn't be trusted with anything, or I don't know why people give me any of the time, or, or even why do they love me. These negative comments you tell yourself take their toll, but they are a well-trodden neural pathway to keep you safe. Now let me explain. As a child exposed to trauma, be it sexual violence or emotional, this behaviour goes against the grain of the child. Children from... The day they're born are emotionally wired to be loved, nurtured and cherished. And as parents, we are emotionally wired to love and nurture and cherish our children. 
Um, this isn't pie in the sky stuff. Um, there's a medical condition called failure to thrive, which is a well-documented condition which causes a whole gamut of medical ailments in children. Um, in infants, it increases mortality by a significant factor. So when back in the day, you know, like in the 40s and the 50s and stuff like that, the when babies were born, they, they were kind of separated from the mothers for fear of infection, causing infection to the baby and to the mother. So the babies were left in a, in a in what we call a cot room where they were often crying. And you get that sort of image of that film where the father is late for the delivery of the baby and the baby's born and then they go and stand at a window with a load of other fathers all smoking cigars looking at a row of children or a row of babies all screaming their heads off. What they realised is that this increased infant mortality... So with failure to thrive in young children, which is also well documented, and I think I probably would have ticked several of these boxes too, um, we need love and we need nurture and we need to be cherished by the people that have brought us into this world as children. And when that's absent in the hands of abuser, love, nurture and being cherished doesn't sway because the abuser is far too selfish and as a child, nothing you do is ever going to be good enough. You know, to me, to my to my abuser, my I was stupid, thick, I had the characteristics of a slug. These were adjectives my abuser would regularly use to describe me. My life was a continual barrage of criticism with the, with a low threshold for violence. And to make matters worse, I had no control over my continence. I would literally shoot myself or wet the bed in the presence of my father, which augmented his behaviour towards me. Humiliation was a daily thing with my father, and um, for soiling myself or wetting the bed, um, I could face a beating, or um, sometimes he would just make me wear my underpants on top of my head. Um, but in today's world, well, this is just plain old abuse, right? And, and kind of parents wouldn't necessarily be able to get away with that with the authorities. But when I was a young boy, perpetually frightened of the ogre in my life, my brain had to think things up quickly to protect me. Um, my brain knew there was nothing I could do to change the man's attitude. My synapses fired and wired hard into my brain with the inner critic slowly developing into a means of adjusting the level of abuse I would have to face. We become so dissociated from our feelings because of the abuse and abandonment developing a sponge for other people's emotional state um, with empathic understanding to the nuanced changes in atmospheres and how you perceive people is probably the only benefit of my childhood trauma. Um, the author Paul Walker describes it uh, quite sinisterly as soul murder. Toxic shame lays a fertile ground for the inner critic to develop and working synergistically together like the gears of a car seamlessly driving you to oblivion perfectionism of all of this has resulted and now we all know perfectionism perfectionism is an impossible aspiration to a chain especially for a child which is where the dichotomy of inner critic comes into play as children we don't have to be perfect to be loved by our parents being a child is all about development children will fail and this is okay and we have to make mistakes as children part of growing up and understanding the risks and benefits this should be encouraged to debate their opinion in order to learn about the wider world. And when a child faces a constant barrage of criticism, emotional abuse, violence and sexual assault, 
the child's neuroplasticity wires itself to protect the child, creating boundaries which the child lives by. And in a narrative which can become so vicious, govern these boundaries and affects the very nature of the child. Replacing the narrative with something that can be used in your favour can be difficult but not impossible. Acknowledge that you're safe. Remember the inner critic developed in the presence of an abusive parent. As the adult, that parent is no longer in charge of your primary care, so right now you're safe from harm. And verbally acknowledge the statement. Attached to the inner critic is low self-worth and low self-esteem. We undermine any good we want to do for ourselves and low self-worth prevents you from believing in yourself and claiming what is yours. Low self-esteem creates an air of sadness which is difficult to shake, which is I often get a lot. Um, with my wife, she, she needed me to be by her side in the instance of moving the house and and this was just a basic mental shift I had to say openly that I'm here and I'm going to be by your side as your partner. And that's all that was needed to be said. The mental shift occurred and the attitude changed. The next step is gratitude. A simple reflection on life, on the life I have now, free from abuse and filled with love is something to celebrate, right? With the... Um, with a constant line of communication with my wife and checking into how I was feeling in each stage of the move took effort. But it was far easier than experience the discombobulation of making my wife sad and shouldering the burden of the asshole that speaks in my head. I won't lie, addressing the inner critic is not just a daily thing. It's by the hour, it's by the minute and by the second of every day. And the chatter is always there waiting to start with an innocent berating from maybe I slammed the door too hard or I forgot to switch the dishwasher on the night before, um, getting out of bed too late in the morning and not being able to take the dog for a walk in the morning. The list is quite literally endless. And if you choose to make this life fruitful and plenty, uh, stick to your moral codes and address the critic in your head every step of the way. It's a constant process of inner evaluation of how you're feeling right here and now. How you're feeling right now can change on a sixpence and easy to miss, which is why dialing into your feelings is critical. I know it seems difficult in a lot of cases. You can't find the answers in the pages of a self-help book. Speaking to a professional for me is the only way you can find yourself out of this mess that you're in. And remember, and from my earlier post, I've been in active therapy for nine years. And Jane, my therapist, is as much part of my life as the rest of the people in it who love me for the person I'm supposed to be. I simply wouldn't be alive today if it wasn't for this amazing human being. And that kind of brings me to the end of the inner critic um, handling your inner critic is something that you, you kind of do need to have help with and you kind of do need to address because by adjusting the narrative and changing words within the inner critic can simply change your life um, and I mentioned earlier that coupled with inner critic comes toxic shame and they kind of work hand in hand um, and next week we're going to look closer at toxic shame and, and how that manifests and how that affects and 
how we can do things to avoid or to change things with toxic shame. But anyway, so if you've um, feel free to get in touch if you're um, in a state where you're struggling every day, I'm more than happy to have a chat with you. Um, you can email me. Or you can get all my contact details from my Substack profile. Where there's my email address, or you can contact me through Facebook at John Biddle Author. Doc. Um, I'm going to give you my an email a website that doesn't exist, but John Biddle. If you type in the search John Biddle Author on Facebook, I'm there. And um, or you can contact me on uh, my email is me m e at John Biddle j o n b i w d l e dot uk, and you can contact me on there. And obviously, anything that you say will be confidential. Um, but other than that, if you want to start a thread on Substack or whatever and get the conversation about inner critic going, then please feel free. Have a great week.